We're turning in our Bibles this morning to the book of Genesis. We're finally in chapter 2. Genesis chapter 2, please, and we're going to read uh, from the verse 1. Uh, we're back to the beginning again in Genesis in our series, going through the first 11 chapters in Genesis initially, and we called it Back to the Beginning. And this morning I would like to take up the title, First Things First. First Things First. And we're going to read just these first three verses for now in chapter 2 of Genesis. And this is the word of the Lord, and it reads this. Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them. And on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made, and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made. And God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it, because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. We trust the Lord will bless the reading of his word to each of our hearts this morning. Let's pray with God's word on our laps. Let's ask for the Lord's help. Our Father, we bow in thy presence once more today, and we thank thee, Father, for the open word of God. We thank you, Father, for the scriptures that are before us. Father, truly within these pages before us, we see our God revealed to us, and we hear the words, and we Pray, O Father, that as we consider your word this day, that the Spirit of God, who is the author of the pages before us, would apply these words to our hearts. Father, we thank you that as we gather that you are here and that to bless us. We thank you, Father, for the Lord's day. We thank you, Father, for gathering with your people here today. We pray, Father, now as we come to the pinnacle of our worship, as we turn to hear from our God, and as we come to listen to the scriptures, Father, we pray that your voice would speak in our lives. Father, encourage us where we need encouraged. Rebuke us where we need rebuke. And Father, we pray that we won't just be hearers of the word, but indeed we would be doers also. Speak, O God, we pray. Grant this preacher the help that I need, O God. I pray, Father, that you would anoint my lips. That, Father, if there's anything of me that is planned to say, that you would take it away. And Father, I pray that the voice of God would be heard. Father, please speak through me. Fill me afresh with your spirit. Father, in my weakness, I pray for your help. And I ask this all in the Saviour's name and for his glory alone. Amen. Amen. Well, last week as we finished chapter 1 in Genesis, of course, that wonderful statement at the beginning of Genesis. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and we specifically went through the first chapter of Genesis, considering those six, first six days, 24-hour days, in which God created all things. And if you're saved here today, trusting the Lord Jesus Christ as your Savior by faith, in the multitude of evidence we have around us today, you'll accept this account found in our Bibles as being absolutely true, that God created this earth in six days, in the same way that we accept by faith the whole canon of Scripture. And of course, as we considered the passage last week, we thought about the command of creation, the command of creation, how God commanded all things, we read that little phrase over and over again. And God said, 
And each time it's followed up with the little phrase, and it was so. And God said, and it was so. And as we thought about this, we were reminded that the same God who said, let there be light, is the same God who says, you shall have no other gods before me. You shall not take my name in vain. You shall not make yourself a graven Im- for yourself a graven image. And we have the commands of God revealed to us in Scripture that we should obey them. And as God's children last week, we were challenged in our hearts as we asked the question, are we obedient to God's commands? Last time we also thought about the contentment of creation. The contentment of creation. God said there was a command and then God saw that it was good. God was pleased with his creation. It was good and perfect just like its creator. And everything that God does, he does perfectly. That's the contentment of creation. And God's greatest contentment of what is good is seen when you and I become a new creature in Christ Jesus. The greatest work that God ever does, the greatest miracle that God ever does is saving a lost sinner. We thought about that wee verse in Zephaniah chapter 3 and verse 17. God rejoices in the salvation of his people. Finally, last week we considered the consistency of creation. There was order in creation. Everything was created after their kind. There was order. According to Genesis, when God created a horse, it always stays a horse. He didn't create a dog and the dog evolved into a horse. He didn't create a fish and the fish evolved into a monkey. He didn't create an apple tree that evolved into a pear tree. Everything was created according to its kind and everything reproduces after its kind. Now we arrive in chapter 2. In chapter 2, we're introduced to a series of firsts in Scripture. Hence the title this morning, First Things First. The Bible is certainly a book that is centered on God, centered on Him and His worthiness and how He ought to be worshipped and adored by all creatures. But the pinnacle of God's creation, the only part of creation made in the likeness and image of God, is humankind. Now as we move now into the second chapter of the Bible, we see a shift in focus. The camera now turns, if you like, and it focuses in on the first human beings. Humankind becomes the focal point of the story. And this dramatic telling in the verses that we'll consider in the next number of weeks of the fall of man, which answers so many questions as to why the world is the way it is today. Why there's so much trouble, why there's war, why there's poverty and difficult matters across our world. Why evil exists in a why evil exists in a world that was spoken into existence by a good God. We'll find many of those answers in the next number of weeks in these chapters and verses that lie ahead of us. And we find that God, who we've learnt is a God of order, not chaos, we find that God sets out a number of of creation ordinances that we ought to follow and obey, not just ourselves, but these these are rules or laws that God set out for Adam and Eve here in chapter 2. These are, these are 
These, these are laws that come long before God gave the Ten Commandments to his people Israel. Now let's have a look at some of these first things in this chapter. You see, you'll see the first Sabbath. We see the first home. We see the first covenant. We see the first marriage. And we're only going to have time, I feel, this morning to cover the first of these, which is the first Sabbath. We're going to think about the first Sabbath. And what I want you, so we want to take note of this first Sabbath, and we read in verse 1, let's read these verses again. It says, Thus the heavens and the earth were finished, and all the host of them, and on the seventh day God ended his work, which he had made. So the sixth day is now over, all of creation is finished, verse 2, and on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made and he rested on the seventh day from all his work which he had made and God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it because that in it he had rested from all his work which God created and made. I want you to see this morning God's Sabbath. God's Sabbath. Verse 1 tells us the heavens and the earth were finished, and the host of them. And the key word in verse 1 is kala. Kala, that's the Hebrew word. When we read it here, when it says that word finished, kala. There's a significant change in tense and tone from verse 31 of chapter 1 to chapter 2 in verse 1. And it's that word finished is shown there at the outset of this wee passage, finished, the creation act, is finished. God has finished all that he has made. It has taken God six days and in these verses Moses inspired by the Spirit of God reminds us of the theology that has been taught in chapter 1 and it is that this is all God's creation. The word all you'll notice appears three times in this opening section of chapter 2 to emphasize the totality of God's work. Once in verse 1, again in verse 2, all his work, and then again in verse 3, all his work. That's a key repetition, emphasizing that absolutely everything was made by God. So day 6 is over, and then what? How does the creation now climax? Where could it possibly go from here? Knowing that God has said that it's good and it's very good and it's now kala, it's finished, it's complete, it's perfect. What could possibly be said next? What could possibly happen next? I mean mankind is the crowning achievement in day six, isn't it? Mankind is the final brushstroke of the master creator, of the masterpiece that God has put together But something else follows. Something different than all that God had done in the physical realm. Something is set apart and holy. It's a day that is going to be blessed by God. By the way, none of the other days do we read of God blessing or sanctifying. This seventh day is the only day that God blessed and sanctified. There's now going to be a holy culmination of God's creation. God's great achievement. We read that on the seventh day God ended his work which he had made. Verse 3 we read God blessed the seventh day and sanctified it. 
He rested on this day from all his work. And he blessed them. Here we have in the holy pages of scripture before us the first of the creation ordinances. It's the first Sabbath. Now a number of things we must note here in verse 2 and 3. In the King James Version translation of these verses, you find that the word Sabbath doesn't appear. However, the phrase the seventh day is mentioned three times in these couple of verses. The Hebrew word used for the seventh day in these verses is the word Shabbat, which can be translated to the word Sabbath, which we are familiar with. God rested on the seventh day, the Sabbath, from all his work, a day of rest. Now there are many different views on the Sabbath among Christians today. But we must see that God Jehovah is the God of time as well as the Lord of eternity. And it was he who created time and established the rotation of the planets and their orbits around the sun. It is he who marked out a seven day week and set the pattern of setting one day aside to be enjoyed. And look at verse 3. This is the only day, we've said this already, that God blessed and sanctified. That's so important to note that. The word sanctify means that God set set this day aside for special purposes. Well, how does this translate through Scripture? Well, I want you to see not just God's Sabbath, but I want you to see Israel's Sabbath. Now, how do we see the Sabbath day begin to go through, right through to today? Well, the next mention of the Sabbath, the scripture, is not until Exodus chapter 16 and verse 23. I want you to turn that up. Exodus chapter 16 and the verse 23. This is when God was giving regulations to Israel about gathering the daily manna. And it seems from the way that it's worded in this verse in Exodus sixteen twenty-three. That the Jews already knew the importance of the Sabbath and they were already observing this, even though this is only the next mention of it in Scripture. You see, it was a creation ordinance. God set this pattern in place from the very, very beginning. And here we read in Exodus chapter 16 and the verse 23, And he said unto them, that's Moses, This is what the Lord hath said. Tomorrow is the rest of the Holy Sabbath unto the Lord. Bake that which ye will bake today, and save what ye will save, and that which me, and that which remaineth over lay up for you to be kept until the morning. And this, what the significance here is, is that the people were already keeping the Sabbath day, and Moses was reminding them to collect all things before the Sabbath day, to have all things ready. The next significant, significant time that we hear the Sabbath mentioned in Scripture is when God gave Israel the law at Mount Sinai uh, in, those, in those verses. I want you to see this as well. The Sabbath is connected to creation. Turn with me to Exodus 20, just a few pages over in your Bible, and the verses 8 to 11. Of course, this is the passage where we read of the Ten Commandments. Exodus chapter 20, and the verses 8 to 11. So we see Moses instructing the people. We see by the wording of that verse in Exodus 16 that already the people were keeping the Sabbath. It was a habit from creation. Then we arrive in the Ten Commandments. And it's interesting that it appeals to creation, this command. Let's read it together. Exodus 20, verse 8. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days shalt thou labor and do all thy work. 
But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work, thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day, and hallowed it on this day, the Sabbath day, it was set out from the very beginning, and was set out in the Ten Commandments, six days to do all your work, and rest the seventh. Why was this Sabbath set out? Why? Because in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day, wherefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day. And how did it was a commandment? Now, what does this mean for us today? The believer's Sabbath, the New Testament Sabbath, what does this mean? How does this translate for you and I as God's people? Well, the evangelical church as a whole generally agrees that there's no question about the other nine commandments found in Exodus chapter 20 being permanent and binding because each of them are clearly affirmed in the reading of the New Testament. And we don't have time to go through all those passages today where they were affirmed, but each of the nine commandments, other nine commandments, are clearly affirmed in the New Testament scriptures. However, some would argue that the Sabbath day is not affirmed in the New Testament. Now, personally, I disagree with that. I believe that the Sabbath day is taught in the New Testament as well. You you can even see, if you apply logic to it, if the other commandments are permanent and affirmed in the New Testament, surely the Sabbath command is a permanent one too. It makes sense to start with. But I believe that this creation ordinance still stands today. The same as the others that we will look at in the coming weeks, these other creation ordinances found in chapter 2 of Genesis I believe the Lord Jesus teaches this in Mark chapter 2 verse 27. He says the Sabbath was made for man and not man for the Sabbath. In other words, this day of rest was made as a day that you can especially enjoy fellowship with God and his people. And in that same passage, the Lord Jesus is thinking of the order of creation. And Christ's meaning is the Sabbath was created for Adam and not Adam for the Sabbath. It was to be a day of rest, of fellowship with God. In other words, God created the Sabbath after he created Adam and Eve in the garden. God didn't make human beings slaves to the Sabbath the way some people like to put it or to hurt or to burden them. Rather, he gave them one holy day in seven on which to rest and to worship for our good. Christ showed that the Sabbath continues into the New Testament for in Mark chapter 2 verse 28, the very next verse from what we've referred to. He says this, the Son of Man is Lord even of, of the Sabbath. Just as he is Lord of the church, Lord of the family, Lord of creation, he is the Lord of the Sabbath. I want you to turn to with me to another verse please. It's in Acts chapter 20. Acts chapter 20. You see, I want you to see three applications of this Sabbath. Uh, This is the evidence that we see of the church meeting together in one day of the week. I want you to see three applications of this New Testament Sabbath. I want you to note, first of all, the Lord's Day. 
You know, John in Revelation calls the first day of the week the Lord's Day. But we're turning to Acts 20 and verse 7. And I want you to see this. It sets out the pattern. It says, and upon the first day of the week. This is the earliest reference to the practice of the church gathering. It was on the first day of the week rather than on the Jewish Sabbath, which was Saturday. You might ask, well, what difference does it make what day of the week the church meets on? Does it make any difference, Peter, what day we worship on? Well, I think it does. I mean, why did these early Christians, mostly Jewish, change from the seventh day of the week to the first day of the week as their day of worship? Why did they turn from a tradition about which they were adamant uh, in their religious faith, why did they change from Saturday, or from the day Saturday to Sunday? What's well, clear in the New Testament, the Sabbath did move from Saturday to Sunday. And a new pattern was set out in the book of Acts, which teaches us that while the Israelite people observed the Sabbath on the last day of the week, the New Testament church observes the Sabbath on Sunday, the first day of the week, to celebrate not creation, but also Christ's glorious Resurrection. The first day of the week is Resurrection Day. And thus Sunday worship, firstly on the Lord's Day, the new Sabbath, is an evidence of and testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. This is why we worship on the first day of the week. This is why we worship on the Lord's Day because of the resurrection of the Lord Jesus Christ from the dead. Paul says in his letter to the Corinthians where he was writing to them about this uh, collection for the poor saints in Jerusalem, he says this in 1 Corinthians 16.2, he says, Upon the first day of the week, let every one of you lay by him and store as God hath prospered him. That's important. So we find in Acts that the people met in the first day of the week. We find that the church in Corinth met in the first day of the week. So the evidence is that a new Sabbath day has been set and they met on Sunday, the first day of the week. So the book of Acts and the subsequent writings to the early, even of the early church fathers make clear that the church from earliest times met to worship on Sunday. You can look into church history. For example, early in the second century, Ignatius wrote this. Let every friend of Christ keep the Lord's Day as a festival. The resurrection day, the queen and chief of all days. That's what Ignatius wrote in the second century. Later in the second century, Justin Martyr described how Christians on this day worship the first day of the week. On the day called Sunday, he says... All who live in cities or in the country gather together to one place. And the memoirs of the apostles and the writings of the prophets are read as long as time permits. Sunday is the day in which we hold our common assembly because Jesus Christ our Saviour on the same day rose from the dead. End quote. Now that makes us have to ask our hearts some questions this morning. Dear believer, let me ask you how seriously do you take your worship on the Lord's day? I mean, are you present as much as you can be when the believers gather to worship on the Lord's day? Do, do we make Sunday worship a, a priority in our lives? Do, do you set it as, as, a, as a priority for your family? 
As your children look up to you, do they see the importance of being in this place? Both times the church meets, morning and evening, do you make it your priority to be there? Do we long to bear witness to the fact that our Saviour is risen? You know, it's a good thing to come on a Sunday to the Lord's house, to hear from his word, to worship with his people, to express our thanks to our risen Saviour. We have great reason to rejoice. Therefore, when we come to this place, we come to celebrate that our Saviour is risen from the dead, has defeated sin, has defeated Satan, and has saved us. When we come, we should come in and enter in with thanksgiving in our hearts. We should come to this place excited to meet with God's people. Excited to serve God. Excited to worship the Lord. How important it is. They met on the Lord's day. It was the first day of the week. But I want you to see another application here from Acts 20 verse 7. I want you to see that they met with the Lord's people says this, look at the verse again, and upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together. Did you see what their habit was? Wasn't running off to the seaside with their family on their own. They came together with the church to worship, the local church to worship the disciples. It was when the disciples came together. It was the whole day as well. To put it in the context of our day, they were here for all the services and Hebrews were given the instruction in Hebrews 10.25, not forsaking the assembling of yourselves together as the manner of some is, but exhorting one another and so much the more as ye see the day approaching. And in this place, we come together to exhort and encourage one another to keep living for Christ. We, we come together to encourage one another. That's the purpose. What a way to start your week. What a way to come and be encouraged in Christ to sit with his people. What a way to come and just have fellowship one with the other in the Lord Jesus Christ. I'll tell you, I don't want to start my week in any other way. It sets your path right. To come with God's people. To worship your Saviour. On the very first day of the week. That's the way any believer's week should start. To come to God's house. To give God his place. The first day of the week. And the whole first day of the week. We want you to see the Lord's day. The Lord's people. But then I want you also to see the Lord's supper. Dr. Luke indicates that the purpose of their gathering was to break bread. Look at verse 7 again. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together, what did they come together on the first week to, uh, day of the week to do? It says, and upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, Paul preached unto them, ready to depart on the morrow. But we see here that there was the breaking of bread and there was the preaching of the word of God. I mean, it's, it's pretty clear, not just here. It's interesting that in the Gospels we find the institution of the Lord's Supper by the Lord Jesus. That's found in Luke chapter 22 and verses 14 to 20. And then in the Acts we have the celebration of the Lord's Supper by the early church. Then in the epistles we have the explanation of the Lord's Supper by the Holy Spirit. 
How simple this makes it. In the Gospels, we see the Lord's Supper instituted. In the Acts, we see the Lord's Supper celebrated. In the Epistles, we see the Lord's Supper explained. And you know, it would seem from the book of Acts and in chapter 2, that when the church gathered together in those early days, when many were being saved, it seems from my reading and understanding of those verses, that they would have observed the Lord's Supper every day. And subsequently then, from chapter 20, here in this passage we're looking at in this verse, it would appear that they came, that it became, by that time, a weekly practice on the first day of the week. And upon the first day of the week, when the disciples came together to break bread, not once a year, not once a quarter, not once a month, but rather their habit was to break bread on the first day of the week. Dear friends, they didn't come together out of mere routine. They prepared their hearts each week. Let a man examine himself. And each week we should come with hearts full of thankfulness. It should never lose meaning to you. It should be a point each week when you're reminded of the Saviour's amazing love for you. And where you stand at the, the, at the outset of a week and you consider what Christ has done on the cross and your, your mind is reminded of the wonder of that God should leave the realms of heaven and come to this earth and die on a cross for your sin. How could you start the week in any other way? The very third, first thing that they do in the first day of the week is remember their saviour in the breaking of the bread. What a way to set your week in the right path. I know for many of you, that is your practice. I mean, how could you walk out when the Lord's, when the Lord's table set? How can you turn your back on the dying request of your Saviour? This do in remembrance of me. Now you're beginning to see the different elements of this New Testament Sabbath, the Lord's Day, the Lord's people, the Lord's Supper. So how do we apply all of this teaching practically? Well, we need to seek to eliminate every unnecessary activity on the Lord's Day while trying to make space for everything that God revealed in the book of the Acts at the beginning of the church. In Acts chapter 2 verse 42 we're told that the church devoted itself to the apostles' teaching, to the breaking of bread, to fellowship and to prayer. And we here at Grange Baptist have intentionally made time for each of these things on the Sabbath day. Teaching of God's word, the breaking of bread, fellowship one with the other and times of prayer. And how, how you must ask yourself, am I observing the Sabbath day, the Lord's day? Am I observing the whole day, giving it to the Lord, spending it with God's people, attending to all that God has commanded? Am I preparing my heart during the week for Sabbath observance? Do I get my work done in six days of the week so I can rest spiritually and worship with God's people on the Lord's day? Do I structure my whole life around God's design for six days of work at home, at work and in the community and one day of rest 
and worship with the church. Some people make this into something laborious. It's a beautiful thing. It's something to be enjoyed. To come together to this place. Do I allow the questions we need to ask? Do I allow God's creational rhythm to organize my own time and existence in the world? Or do I believe I'm the Lord of my own time? Am I willing to sacrifice extracurricular activities and entertainments, the weekly shop, for the churches assemble for the, when the church assemble on the Lord's Day? There's nothing wrong with extracurricular activities and entertainment and shopping when they're in their proper place. But do I allow those things to interfere with God's appointed day and seven? A spiritual rest and worship. A day which God has blessed and sanctified. I was brought up in a home where in the Lord's day afternoon we gave a rest from all things we would have. Well, Sunday school was on when we were younger, but as we grew older, it was a day when we were encouraged to go and read our Bibles to think about what was said in the morning meeting. The football wasn't on. That would take your mind off the Lord. The TV was off. There were no distractions. And it was a day wholly focused on worshipping the Lord. You know, it's a day that isn't to be resented, but to be enjoyed. Dear brothers and sisters, don't miss out on the blessing of the Lord's day. Verse 3 of Genesis chapter 2 is so very important. God bless the seventh day, the Sabbath day, and he sanctified it. It was set apart because that in it, he had rested from all his work which God created and made. My prayer is that our own experience in the Lord's day would be like John of old, who when writing in the book of Revelation, Revelation chapter 1 and verse 10, Under the inspiration of the Spirit of God, he said this, I was in the Spirit on the Lord's day. I trust that each Lord's day that we come together, that that will be our experience, that we would know the Spirit of God striving with us, teaching us. Dear brothers and sisters, what an important day to set aside and enjoy with God's people. It's the Lord's day where we come together to worship as God's people, to hear God's word, and to remember our Saviour in his own appointed way.